Hello, and welcome to the Jewelry Navigator podcast, an on-the-go source for unique jewelry and arriving trends to stay ahead of the fashion curve. I'm your host and jewelry guide, Brenna Pakes. As a graduate gemologist from the Gemological Institute of America with a degree in geology, I've been a consultant in the private retail sector for many years. Jewelry Navigator combines the intrigue of travel and exciting destinations from when I enjoyed an intermittent career as a flight attendant, now offering a new kind of departure lounge that guides you with insider tips on how to shop for, design, and care for your jewelry with confidence. You'll hear what inspires the jewelers and designers I feature to create outside the jewelry box with jewelry that complements your unique style and interests. To keep updated on weekly discoveries, subscribe for your Jewelry Navigator passport at JewelryNavigator.com. You can find show notes and weekly features here as well, and find daily departures for jewelry inspiration on Instagram and Facebook as well at Jewelry Navigator. Welcome aboard. I'm so glad you decided to join us. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. Hey there, welcome to episode number six of the Jewelry Navigator podcast. This is part two and conclusion to last week's episode, Diamonds Demystified with Diamond Insider and Wholesaler Mark Knobloch. He's vice president and third generation with Aaron Knobloch Incorporated in New York City. Last week, Mark called on his 30 years of experience to explain the importance of seeing a diamond and how leaning on its statistics on paper can lead to faulty comparisons. What the most important of the four C's are in choosing a diamond, the magic ingredient to choosing a diamond, and explained the primary purpose for diamond certificates. If you missed it, go back after this episode and catch up with what you missed on part one in last week. But today, we continue as Mark explains the process put in place by the industry to prevent conflict diamonds from entering the market. Mark also shares a diamond's journey from mine to market and how diamonds positively affect communities and regions of their origins. We share what our favorite diamond shapes are and discuss what makes certain cuts different from the rest. Thanks so much for joining us today for the conclusion of this visit with Mark Knobloch. Along with that whole concept of people choosing alternative gemstones over diamonds, a lot of that came about with the development of the Kimberley process. Can you explain that to us a little bit better, even I'm not as familiar with it as I would like to be, so I'd Mm -hmm. love to hear what you say about it. Okay. Well, the Kimberley process is a process that was started by the diamond industry. Um, It's an an initiative, if you will, and a self-policing effort to ensure that diamonds being mined in parts of Africa were not being sold, so the proceeds of those sales would go towards funding human rights violations, abuses, um, conflicts, fighting in certain areas, etc. So basically what it is, long and short, is when diamonds are mined in the ground, they're taken out of the ground, they have a series of papers 
attached to them, where they were mined, the characteristics about them, like weight, for example, things like that. But at each level of the, the process, from mining all the way to the finished diamond, there needs to be paperwork that follows the diamond uh, along. People are very uh, surprised to hear that the, the Kimberley Process initiative started three years before the movie Blood Diamonds came out, because many people think that, and it is a terrible thing, it's a very upsetting thing, but people think that Blood Diamonds came out, diamond people are bad, the movie came out and, and it encouraged the industry to act. Now, the industry was already acting for already three years before Blood Diamonds came out. Most people don't know that. Um, people can look it up. Kimberly Process, people Google it, started in 2003. Blood Diamonds, the movie, came out in 2006. So okay. the, the movie coming out the, made the industry work even more. And if it didn't come out, the industry would have worked still just as hard this initiative, and we continue. I'm on the board of the Diamond Manufacturers and Importers Association, and it's an organization that um, represents the interests of not only the diamond manufacturers and polished diamond wholesalers and other people involved in the diamond industry. It doesn't just work on their concerns, but it also works on the concerns of, of the, the, the industry, the marketplace, the world in general. And the DMIA is one of the organizations that's heavily involved with, um, was heavily involved and still heavily involved in ensuring that diamonds being sold are not funding human rights abuses and atrocities and things like that. The, the, the idea of the Kimberley process is, say diamonds follow the pipeline along the way to being polished, they have the paperwork along the way. So people in the trade can ask to see the paperwork, etc. If a diamond at any point along the pipeline doesn't have this necessary paperwork with it, the idea is you don't buy it. And ultimately what will hopefully happen is the people selling diamonds, the few people, the few miners or whomever, whatever you want to call them, few um, concerned selling diamonds that go to funding atrocities, the idea is to choke off their, their business, basically, because mm -hmm. if they have diamonds that papers can't be produced on, then they're not going to do business, then they're not going to earn money. And it's, their business will dry up, and that's the idea of the Kimberley process. Uh, it's basically a paper trail that follows the diamond from the mining process all the way through to the, cut, the cutting process, and it certifies the diamonds didn't originate in the conflict areas, nor the proceeds uh, from the diamond sale going towards funding the human rights abuses, atrocities, etc. And again, the paperwork is not with the diamonds along the way, but diamonds uh, should not be uh, and, and, and must not be um, bought, sold, Etc. And um, and and certainly, if there's, there's somebody in the the pipeline selling diamonds without this paperwork, they certainly have some questions they they need to answer. Uh, why is there no mm -hmm. paperwork? Where's the paperwork? How come there's no? Mm -hmm. So it's all in the the, the, in the industry's self policing effort. So mm -hmm. but that's what the complete process um, is, and it's a K I M B E R L E Y, named after the okay. region. In, in, okay. in Africa. Mm -hmm. There's definitely some safeguards in place that are very stringent, and the whole industry is following it. So um, mm -hmm. people can be, you know, they can rest assured that their their diamonds are are coming from legitimate and reliable sources. sources that reliable are not sources involved with atrocities, which is how it should exactly. be. People are just becoming more aware of the conditions. Of mining and also a lot of wells, a lot of water and schools being built 
to help compensate for the, the mining of these areas. Yes, actually, that's a very good point you bring up. Uh, diamonds uh, certainly do good in these areas because they create an industry for areas that really don't have resources to build roads, schools, etc. So diamonds are a big industry for them. And, um, mm. and through the legitimate trade in diamonds, there's a lot of money flowing into these areas and in ensuring neighborhoods are thriving neighborhoods are built and that there's an economy for them and that there are roads that are reliable and, and, and usable and that there are schools and the kids get educated. So it, it, is, it is true. It's not just that diamonds are mined in an area, in an area and then taken away and that's it. The, the mining does create a, um, a, a, an economy for the areas as well. And uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's a nice thing. There have been areas that have really developed nicely, the kids being educated in school, they certainly do do good. It's not a, it's not a one-way one-way relationship. Certainly, and every once in a while, I get somebody to say, you know, why why should I choose a diamond? It's mm-hmm. not any more special, or it's not really that they're not really not that rare. They don't know the full story, and there's a lot, like you said, diamonds are doing a lot of good things. Mm-hmm. So. They they sure are, they sure are, and because of some certain areas, because of the resources they have there, um, because of certain conditions, there is a lot of diamonds to be discovered in a certain area, and in turn, there are jobs, there's money, there's schools, houses, school, um, roads, etc. being built. It's, it's, a, it's a give-and-take relationship that, that's really right. beneficial for everyone. So, sure. Yeah, and it's, yeah. A, it's a nice story. It's a nice story as well. It is. It is. So take us from mine to market. I never understood how they get from the crystals to you. Let's say, how, how does a diamond get from a mine in Africa to where you are? Okay. Well, there's a lot of steps, um, a lot of time commitment, money commitment by many different people and um, many stages of the whole process. Um, basically, maybe in movies, cartoons, people look down on the ground, poof, there's a diamond, it's all cut, ready to go. That's not how it is at all. Um, prospectors uh, just don't make a decision to set out one day into the field, look on the ground, start to dig and find a diamond. The process of finding diamonds starts long before the process of mining them. Um, a diamond firm, for example, assuming they have the larger amount of capital available to commence the project, they'll go ahead and extensively study various sites um, they'll do soil samples to to look for certain conditions, um, indicator minerals. There are minerals that form with diamonds, so they'll look for these, for the presence of them to to get a hint. Um, there's no guarantee to get a hint if there are uh, potentially diamonds there or nearby. Um, so they'll they'll do a lot of studies on various sites. They'll co- conduct the viability studies, soil samples, as I mentioned. They'll look for the indicator minerals I um, I mentioned, and if they find that there is indicated minerals or any number of other conditions that exist by where diamonds form or can be found, well, not they form in the earth, but you know as they come up and there's ways to to, to find out where they are and where they're not. So they look mm-hmm. for certain clues. It's like a like a mystery, if you will, and um, they'll have to study soil samples and whatnot. 
and, and assuming the diamonds are near, and it's not always the case. After a study, it doesn't mean that they're going to find. Um, they also, if there are diamonds potentially there, there has to be a large enough quantity of well-formed diamonds, but they won't know until they get them out of the ground. So money is, is spent, and there's no guarantee yet. Um, that they'll find mm-hmm. diamonds. And if they find diamonds, they might not even be gem quality. They might be uh, industrial quality, diamonds that are that worth, their worth is being ground up and used in manufacturing tools like saw blades and things like that. So you know, old diamonds that come out of the ground aren't necessarily appropriate for cutting into to the gems you see in, in jewelry. So um, once the viability study is done and they decide that, yes, this is a viable site, then a mining operation has to be set up and run, and there's construction equipment and uh, offices and other things and people, labor that has to come in, et cetera, et cetera. So um, well, to make it a shorter explanation, um, once they, diamonds are uh, rough diamonds, uncut diamonds, rough diamonds are, are uh, taken out of the ground. They have to be checked for quality, categorized, documented paperwork comes into play, for example. They have to be mined in a quantity that's uh, large enough to, to make the operation run long-term. If there's not enough quantity of gem diamonds that they're looking for, um, or gem, potentially gem quality because they're not cut, they, they come out of the ground rough. Basically, rough diamonds look like, uh, if you've ever seen um, rock candy, basically mm-hmm. the white crystal, crystal-looking things, that's what rough diamonds for the most it, it, simplifying it, but that's basically what they look like, large and small. Mm-hmm. Um, so once the diamonds are mined, then the firm has to sell diamonds, those diamonds, to firms that um, then, then cutters will, will look and study the rough. Certainly the larger diamonds that we hear about a lot in the, in the news, they're more mm-hmm. noteworthy because the chance of finding a large enough diamond to cut uh, a newsworthy diamond, the chance of finding that rough is, is so rare. Um, usually, the diamonds, uh, small diamonds, the rough necessary for cutting them, it's a lot easier to find them. But even there's, there's no guarantee. And in mm-hmm. fact, a little aside, a, a diamond cutter who's actually just polishing facets, the, the ratio of what a cutter should end up with when he finishes cutting uh, polishing a diamond to, to getting the diamond to the faceted point that we are all familiar with um, from start to finish the weight retention of the rough, the original rough, should be about 50%, thereabouts, maybe 60%. Oh. Um, okay. so diamond, rough diamonds, it's like wood. When you have a piece of wood, you cut the wood, you lose some of it to sawdust, you can't recover the sawdust. That's lost. Mm-hmm. So in the cutting process, you lose some of the rough material and the f- cutting, the, the polishing, the facets, etc. You're losing material. Each little bit you lose, you're losing uh, value. So uh, mm-hmm. diamonds are priced per carat but per, by their weight. So the price per carat, I don't know, $1,000 per carat times, like, you have a 10-pointer, it's $100. Mm-hmm. You see what I mean? So right. small the diamond, the, you'll have a 1000 per carat, but the, certainly by, by that explanation, small diamond, less expensive. So to find the rough, for example, that's required to cut one of these newsworthy diamonds that people hear about that get excited about. And all diamonds are exciting, but the ones you hear about in the news, the big ones, to find the rough, first of all, that large rough, you can imagine. So some say there's a, uh, I don't know, the, the Hope Diamond, I believe is what, around 45 carats, mm-hmm. finished, polished. You can imagine the size of the rough diamond material. 
forget the fact that the whole mm-hmm. diamond is blue, which is uh, it, it's naturally um, it occurs because it, it, when the diamond forms, there's a presence of boron, the mineral, the element boron that colors it blue. But forget mm-hmm. forget the boron. Um, a 45 carat diamond. You could start out potentially with. Um, I don't remember the, what the rough what the rough was uh, before they cut the, the Hope Diamond, but diamonds like that certainly they don't necessarily adhere to the 50% uh, weight retention because they have something that can be really unique and noteworthy and very closely. So they might, instead of retaining 50% of the weight, they might go for uh, 40% weight retention or 30% weight. You see what I mean? They'll cut to ensure yeah. uh, they'll cut for beauty versus commerciality. So basically, so you have cutters along the process who have to cut it, and then you have people in the process who have to, um, um, the people who own the, the rough, they have to cut it, or they, they sell to other people who then have polishing factories. They cut the diamonds. Um, ultimately, it makes its way to the pipeline to the wholesalers, uh, jewelry designers, to stores, um, with jewelry or without jewelry. So you can imagine, um, beyond the, the mine and everything, as, when you get down to the wholesalers from there, the diamonds can be sold uh, to jewelry designers. For example, diamonds go into the jewelry. They make their way to the stores, make their way to the consumer. Okay. And, I, and I know it's very, I, I really sped that up and simplified it, but uh, that's basically in a nutshell. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. I knew some of the steps, but I wasn't aware of, of all of them. And I didn't know that the, a diamond crystal would lose close to half of its weight. That's really something. But. Yeah. And it's not a hard and fast rule. That, that's just a goal. Um, there are times that they could lose more and it may not be worth more. And that's, again, something that's potentially studied when they're doing viability studies. So you can have diamonds coming out of the ground and they'll. one of the things they'll decide is how much weight will we retain in these rough diamonds when they're polished? Is it worth to keep mining them? Or not? Is it mm-hmm. worth to, to sell them as gem diamonds? Maybe they're rough. Maybe they're industrial diamonds, and we were hoping to have uh, more valuable gem diamonds, and these are uh, suitable for being industrial diamonds. So there's a lot of a lot of things that go on before a diamond makes it into a ring. Great explanation. I, I love being able to explain to people when they do have those those doubtful comments. You know, diamonds are not that rare. Well, mm-hmm. the ones that are gem quality. Are. Mm-hmm. There are plenty of diamonds that are used for commercial-grade ab- abrasive material, but ones that are pretty and end up in rings and jewelry, mm-hmm. those those are harder to, to come by. Yes, I agree. And certainly the ones that are even larger, that's also something that's even more rare to find. Again, the larger rough that's suitable to cut the larger diamonds. Mm-hmm. It's, it's more rare to... To find rough uh, suitable to cut even one characters, it's pretty difficult. So hmm. that's interesting. But, yeah. So I'd love but, to see a percentage of crystals that are under a carat and those that are a carat and over. It's not a percentage I can readily think of, but it, it, it is interesting how mine that can produce rough diamonds that are large enough to, to have one characters cut. Certainly, potentially, one of the big value determinators is carrot size. But then again, there are diamonds that could be smaller, that could be a higher color and or clarity. than a larger diamond of a lower color clarity could be worth more. Mm-hmm. Um, True. Size isn't the end-all, be-all. So 
which mine is producing more value items than another? That's a very good question. That uh, if it's okay, I can ask around and uh, sure. find out uh, an answer, and we'll, we can uh, definitely revisit that. I kind of geek out about those kind of things. Yeah, so. no, it, it's really it's a it's a fantastic question. Like which is. Which is the, the mine in the lead that's producing more gem quality diamond size-wise and color clarity-wise, for example, things like that. That's very interesting. Yes, it is. What's your favorite shape? That's a tough question. I like radiance. I always um, think of myself as an old soul. Not that the radiance are old, but I see it as more of a classic cut from long ago versus like a cushion cut, which is sort of a more modern interpretation of a round because of the facet, mm-hmm. etc. So I, I really get jazzed about radiant cuts, especially larger ones, uh, fancy yellow ones, uh, if they're not uh, white and yellow. I like those, but um, again, uh, I can have an oval across my desk or even a marquise. Poor marquise uh, fell out of favor a long time ago. <laughs> they're very pretty cut, but they just can't seem to make a a comeback. We a long time ago, actually, a little bit quick aside. Um, I don't know if you remember that show, Sex in the City, yes. with Sarah Jessica Parker. Well, Marquises was struggling in popularity. Popularity then. And I, I did not watch the show, but I had heard that one character got engaged with a marquee-shaped diamond, and another mm-hmm. character said, "Oh, congratulations!" But marquee cut—that's such an old lady cut. And the, you can <laughs> imagine the wavering popularity of the marquee nosedived. <laughs> After that, and it hasn't recovered. And you know something? They're pretty. They're, if they're cut well, if they're proportioned nicely, and that's another potential uh, uh, podcast, but um, if they're proportioned nicely, nicely, you know, a nice balance of length to width ratio, they could be very pretty. So right. I really like, like all the shapes, but in the interest of answering, I had to pick one, and it was a tough, tough decision, but I picked the. Uh, Radiant, especially larger. I mean, who doesn't love larger diamonds? Mm-hmm. But three carat, four oh, carat. No. So yeah. So, but I'd say radiant. But they're all different shapes are attractive for all their own reasons, whether it's the shape outline or the faceting. So, but how about you? Which which mm-hmm. is your favorite? I like pairs. I have a pair, and mm-hmm. I wanted something different. Thinking back to our earlier part of our conversation, you're right. That's the best shape. Because you you like it, um, I think they're beautiful as well. If you you asked me which is your favorite shape, I said radiant, and mm-hmm. neither one of us is right, and neither one of us is wrong. And radiant cuts that's that's a cut that I don't think gets enough attention, and mm-hmm. people will look for something square or rectangular. And the emerald cuts are beautiful, but they don't return a whole lot of light. The radiant is the best of both worlds. Yes. That's one of the reasons I, I like it. And it's, it's interesting. You very smartly picked up um, emerald cuts are faceted differently. Um, so right. that's, that explains their muted sparkle versus the radiant cut. The, the way to describe uh, the faceting on an emerald cut is a, it's a step cut. There are long rectangular facets that are placed parallel next to each other versus mm-hmm. like a radiant cut, which is more, cut, uh, it's more of a, a brilliant cut. Where you have randomly placed facets um, that bounce light around. Not that these step cuts don't bounce light around, but they treat light differently. That's a good way to put it. They do treat light differently. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a very linear, very classic, and very pretty, but mm-hmm. it doesn't sparkle like the other radiant based faceted no. stones. No, yeah. it definitely doesn't. 
What are you finding to be the most popular shapes now, like in the last six months or so? Um, cushion cuts are um, very mm-hmm. popular. Maybe one reason is, like you said, it's a nice uh, compromise between brilliance and sparkle and shape. Um, cushion cuts can be rectangular. They can be square. But they look mm-hmm. like a round. They're faceted like a round. They have that brilliant cut, but they're, their outline is obviously different than a round. So cushion cuts certainly are, are very uh, popular. Round um, is, I think, the most well-known, certainly. And then we have the, the poor marquee. So um, <laughs> I don't know which, what, the, what, how the, all the, the shapes rank in order of preference. Princess cuts, um, they come and go. Well, thank you so much for taking your time with me, Mark. I really appreciate it. And You're welcome. Helping thank to, you. Helping to clarify some of the some of the mystery for people shopping and looking for diamonds and understand the process a little bit better so it's not so intimidating, whether mm-hmm. they're looking for something new or looking to, to trade up. It's really helpful. I'm glad. I'm glad because it is a very complicated product, a complicated topic, and I do seriously hope it was helpful and I hope at least it shed some light on diamonds and, and, and maybe opened up the opportunity to, to learn more or understand more. Thank you. I thank you for taking the time as well. You're welcome. And I'm just going to mention to um, to my listeners, you have a wonderful Instagram feed for anybody who's curious. Mark has a, a great Instagram feed of photography. A lot of it is thank you. Um, very creative angles and colorful. I've, I really enjoy seeing your photographs. I do love photography. Uh, I love visual appeal. Certainly, um, it fits with the industry that I'm in. Also, the area I'm in as well. Um, there's so much to see around here in Midtown New York City and, and beyond. Um, so thank you. I, I thank you for noticing. It means the world to me that, that you're enjoying that. And I, I do love photography as well. So anybody interested, his feed is MK Jewelry Stylist. Go check out his photographs. They're a nice detour for a busy day. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks so much, Mark. I hope you enjoyed getting a peek into the world of diamonds from mine to market and learning more about them. I really enjoyed visiting with Mark, and especially it was exciting because he's straight from the Diamond District in New York City. I really appreciated learning more about diamonds before they reached the jewelry cases, and I'm so grateful for Mark for how generously he shared his time to visit with me. I'd love to hear what you think and any questions you have about diamonds, and we'll invite Mark back for a follow-up visit to answer them. You can reach me by email at brenna at jewelrynavigator.com. You can reach out to Mark at marknoblock on Facebook as well as MK Jewelry Stylist on Instagram. Next week, I'll be sharing shopping tips for Mother's Day gifts. Until next time, cross-check the security of your prongs and safety chains. Talk to you next time. Bye-bye.